0: It's The Sod Pod Brought to you by Grassland Agro The Sod Pod Hello, hello and welcome to The Sod Pod I'm here with John O'Loughlin and Ed Healy And we have a special guest Very hard person to get We've got Mike Egan Mike Egan is a research officer in Grassland. He's based down in Moorpark. Welcome on the show, Mike.
1: Thanks very much, James.
0: Mike, I'm going to go straight to something that I think you more or less were the the first person running at the beginning. It's gone into his fourth year. Clover 150.
1: Yeah, I suppose what the the Clover 150 program is, and I suppose the Clover 150 is just a title based on, on what our objectives are coming from. But I suppose the Clover 150 program, what it was in its original concept was an on-farm clover study to try and first of all establish clover on farms. How can we establish clover on farms? And it has evolved more so than then now back to the, the management of it, the fertilization strategies on it, to see where we're going with it. So, what it is, it's a it's an on-farm program. There are currently 40 farms enrolled in the program. This it we're currently entering its fourth year, so we started it in 2020. Um and we have established clover on farms by means of reseeding over sowing. We have given tailored advice on levels of chemical fertiliser stresses where we want to go with. Um, and then we're also managing the whole grass growth production clover content. We have a, a cultivar element in it too. And we also want to see what's happening in terms of the the weight the of the the surplus of nitrogen, or the farm gate nitrogen surplus that's on that system.
2: Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a hard one here now straight away, right? Uh, that we that we're that we're probably asked on the regular when when it comes to to discussing clover on farm a lot when you when you talk about clover is is bloat is it as big an issue as 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 guys think it is out there
1: look at bloat is an issue if you have bloat its it can be extremely worrying and cause a lot of issues if there are if there are severe cases of bloat on farm so to say that's not an issue is is probably it is an issue when it's there mm-hmm. I think. We can do an awful lot of things to try and prevent it before we get it to being an issue on farm. So it's an issue when it's there, but it's not as big of an issue to be a driving force and not having clover on farms. And as part of the on-farm study that we have, the Clover 150, um, and also all of the research programs that we have here and commercial farms. There are a couple of key things that we know that can cause, and it's to know what they are and then how to prevent it, first of all. And if you do get it in, how to treat it. And we did a survey last year with a number of farms across pasture based uh, Ireland on, on anyone that got bloat and, and what were the main issues of it. Um, and we'll go through that in a minute as well. But what we would generally advise is probably four or five key areas that we know that can cause high cases or high incidence of bloat, if you can get some of them. Number one is extremely high levels of clover on farm or individual paddocks. The second one then is very low dry matter grass. The third one then is extremely hungry animals coming into a paddock that has that has lush grass or high levels of clover in it. And then and an issue, particularly so for some farms when they're going on to it too, cows that don't have, or farms that don't have clover across a large area of the farms might only have two, three, four paddocks of it. And the cows are switching from grass-only diets to to grass clover yes. pastures as well. And they're not reduced yeah. Now you can get one of those in a particular morning or you can get all five of those in a particular morning. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the last one then is very low pre-grazing covers as well, which kind of comes into the, the low dry matter grass. Yeah. So we know those can cause issues. If we know we have a morning that the cows are going to be quite hungry going in to that paddock and there's clover in it, we can put in a preventive strategy to try and prevent that, number one. Or if there's other cases there, high clover contents, cows going into it, we can treat all that. Coming back to the survey on Pastor Miss Ireland when we did that last year, there's a couple of key things that really came out of it where there was very low levels of chemical fertilizer spread in spring and ext- and no level and no chemical fertilizer, nitrogen particularly, spread on new reeseeds. So what's happening then is the grass is at a competitive disadvantage then it's not getting its nitrogen from its source and there's ex- leading to very high or excessively high levels of clover in sports. So I'm not saying we need to apply very heavy, high levels of chemical fertilizer on in those paddocks, but getting that balance right. It's all about getting the balance right of clover and grass in the sward that we can get all the benefits without having some of the negative impacts of it as well. So mm-hmm. I think how we manage our receives in terms of the fertiliser strategy around them, how we manage our grass clover swards in spring as well, when clover isn't fixing a huge amount of, of nitrogen and the grass and the clover plant needs chemical fertiliser or nitrogen at that stage, getting that balance right in terms of giving it some that it needs, but not overdoing it and then taking it out later on in the year. And then when we know we can control that as well in terms of the preventative strategies, obviously you can put bloat oil in the water to treat it. The risk with bloat oil in the water really is that when you, the mornings that are damp, drizzly, uh, low dry matter, the water intake of those her- that herd of cows is, is reduced anyway. So yep. if you are going down the bloat oil route, you probably need to have it in at least 24 to 36 hours before they go into that paddock. And that takes a lot of forward planning then to know what paddocks you're going to be going into to next so that that bloat oil is in the system. You can add targeted source of fibre in the, in the diet as well. Again, that's extra workload uh, and can reduce milk production and milk protein percentage as well by having a bit of hay, silage or straw in the yard for the cows to, to do it. And I think that's more in the extreme cases when you have all of those kind of four or five key risk areas that can get. But the one that we use out the, on the on-farm study, most of the times here in the research farms as well, is what we call the breakfast break. So typically when you're going to get bloat, the cows go out, they're going to gorge on the, the clover part of the sward. And they will, even if there's only 40 or 30 or 40 percent clover in the sward, they can actively go and select a higher percentage of their diet clover in that initial two to three hour window when they go out first after milking. By putting up the breakfast break, which is kind of a two hour strip wire, in the paddock first when they go out it just removes that large gorging process mm-hmm. and as well as grazing the 30 or 40 percent clover or whatever clover contents in the paddock they also have to graze the 60 or 70 percent grass that's in as well that have that will help reduce prevent getting that blow as well not get rid of it completely these are all strategies to try and reduce the incidence not remove it so we still need to be vigilant of it and then you take after that two to three hour window the breakfast break is gone, you take up the wire or a lot of the farms use a back latch that the cows go back out again and they just walk through themselves. So it is an issue. I don't think it's a a major concern if we're aware of it. We know the main causes of it. We manage our swords in accordance that we get that balance of grass clover in our swords and then we put the preventative in place when it's needed.
2: Yeah, and I think like probably worth noting that like we have seen in the past there uh, animals getting bloat on, on paddocks that have zero uh, clover in them really and i suppose ruminants you know they, they can be fairly uh, sensitive to changes in diet so uh, i think consistency in the diet is probably is probably something that's fairly important there when when we're talking about bloat or when we're talking about animals performance in general like and it's and bloat is not just an issue when it comes to to clover um, yeah and i think
1: so, we, we saw that particularly last year we came out of a a, a quite a poor spring, uh, low dry matters in in the summer. And then we got a lot of growth then when it got warm again. A lot of clover in the paddocks, but you get a lot of release of nitrogen too. So some of the cases last year were were not all related to clover, but I think clover having this words, I think we need to be vigilant of those risks associated with it and try and prevent it then in cases where we need it. Mike, the clover 150, just to bring it back for a second, there's a perception there that clover
3: is only for dry land. But I know that you've a geographical spread across the country. We've yeah. we've seen two year two year guys who are brilliant operators apply for the grass ten sustainable grassland Farmer of the year competition. They're not on what you consider Moore Park or the Golden Vale. So how's it working on heavy sides?
1: Yeah, and I suppose that was one of the aspects too that look, all of the times we were talking about clover before the on-farm study, it was it was more part of Clon and kilty results uh, and Solidhead then as well coming into them Belly Hayes, any starting at the time as well. So I think that was one of the key areas that we wanted to bring in that we can get a range of soil types. And and on that forty farms there's a mix of dairy beef and sheep. There is a mix of soil type stocking rates, farming systems and everything within it. Um, and we have farms from West Cork to Donegal, uh, Galway to Wexford and everywhere in between. So th- there are more challenges associated with heavier farms. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of those being back to soil fertility and getting good soil fertility levels up on farms. We know if we want good levels of clover on paddocks, you need a soil pH of 6.5, index trees and index 4 for P's and K's. And that can be more challenging. Some of the heavy farm program work, a heavy soils program would have shown that it's higher, harder to get those P indexes up. So that's probably one of the issues with soil fertility, getting it up. And the second one then is that if you have very wet ground, clover is a sense of plant doesn't like to be damaged or pugged or poached. So you just need to be a little bit more careful in terms of around that wet weather management in spring and autumn. But if we look at the farms that are not, I won't call them heavier, challenging farms, but more of the heavier soil type farms that we have at the on-farm study, like I, I would say on terms of their levels of clover content, their overall levels of dry matter production and their levels of nitrogen fertiliser savings and farm-gate surplus savings. We haven't seen a, a huge impact of soil type within that on-farm study, but it's coming back to the management. And I think we all talk about getting it on and soil fertility, but the grazing management in terms of the correct pre-grazing covers. you can have an extremely dry farm yeah. and not have the correct pre-grazing covers and pool residuals and clover content still going to be very hard to establish and maintain. So grazing management, regardless of soil type and soil, and soil fertility, obviously, they are the two main aspects that we've seen in the on-farm study that will help establish clover number one and maintain it in those swords long term. Yeah, Mike, you've touched on something
3: there. So overall production, do you have a couple of key metrics? I know last year was a tough grass growing year and maybe do you have any information from pasture base? What is that? How is that line? The 150 versus pasture base is there?
1: Yeah, so look, if there, we, we, the, look if as a, a quick overview, I suppose, of the Clover 150. When we started in 2020, the farm area had less than 10% of the farm area or milk and platform area in Clover. Uh, and of that, it was negligible Clover in that, less than 10% of the average sport clover content in that. They're spending about 230 kilos of chemical fertilizer per hectare, uh, and they're going about 14 and a half tonne. Uh, if we go to where they are today, in terms of the end of 2023, they have increased their farm area to 65% of the farm area now has clover content, clover mm-hmm. in it. Yep. And the average clover content of that is 23%. So they have made huge increases by reseeding and sowing And we have seen no effect of reseeding or sowing in terms of establishing clover. Grass growth reduced last year probably was a, an effect of year on top of that as well. So it was back down to just over 13 tonne dry matter per hectare on that group of farms. But that, I, I, I don't know if that was slowly down to nitrogen savings or whatever, there was a challenging year last year uh, across yeah, the So I yeah. think that's an unfair comparison. But we, as a whole, we have, and we look at key metrics across the year, we have maintained harvest production at key time points and a year effect in on top of that. But chemical fertilizer has reduced to 150 kilos yeah. per hectare last year. And we're still growing over 13 tonne on those farms. Wait,
3: just for a second now, right? So... We can't grow pasture without nitrogen. So the clover plant then is fixing the the nitrogen. Can you you just give maybe a real simple explanation of what's happening in that process? Because maybe some people are struggling to understand it a little bit because, you know, it's like a miraculous process. By you know, there's nitrogen in the air and then it's in the side. Like, how does that actually work?
1: Yes, yeah, suppose if we go back to the, the plant, first of all, the clover, and we, when we when you sow a, a white clover seed, or sorry, a, a perennial ryegrass seed, it establishes as a perennial ryegrass plant, it produces tillers and leaves, and that's how it maintains itself long-term. White clover is slightly different. It goes through three different growth phases from the day that it's sown to long-term production. And the first of those is rosette phase. That lasts about three months. So when the seed establishes first, it has to produce what's called a central taproot. And on that central taproot, that is what it uses really to survive for the first 12 to 18 months. Of that, then it will start to develop stolons and branches and nodes and also the above ground mass that we see. So typically during that first kind of two to three month window, we don't see a huge level of above ground mass with (coughs) uh, white clover because it's developing this large central taproot. Towards the end of that three month period, it's what's called then it moves into the expansion phase. And then it starts to produce stolons and develop stolons. And on those, then it starts to develop root nodules. And those stolons and root nodules then are what actually fix the nitrogen. And we'll go through the nitrogen fixation in a minute. That expansion phase lasts between eight to 10 months. We're up to about 12 month period here now at the end of that. And towards the end of that expansion phase, that central taproot that it has survived on to take all its nutrients up from for the first 12 to eight, 10 to eight, 12 months starts to die. And once that central taproot starts to die, it moves to what's called then the clonal phase. So that's how the plant produces and stays alive for the rest of its life. As long as it's there, producing new stolons, new plants, old stolons die and the new stolons take its place. And they're the three phases. But the root nodules that are developed on those, the roots and the root nodules that are developed in those stolons, they are what are called the, the nitrogen fixation bacteria. And, and they are infected then by rhizobia bacteria from the soil. Um, to then try and, and fix overall atmospheric nitrogen. So once we're in that kind of, those nodules have been developed and we're moving from that expansion phase into the clonal phase, the legume then has this, what's called a uh, nitrogen fixation ability. It can take at, into nitrogen from the atmosphere, take it into the plant leaves, down into the, the root nodules that are on the base of the plant, below the ground. Those root nodules are infected with a bacteria called rhizobia bacteria. Uh, and within that then those nodules are able to convert that nitrogen source from the atmosphere into a plant usable source in those root nodules. Those root nodules then decay and burst, release that nitrogen into the soil. The clover will use some of it to grow and whatever is released into the soil then is available then for the companion species, usually the perennial ryegrass, to take up and produce itself and grow. And coming back to that point, like, for those root nodules that start decaying and releasing nitrogen into the soil, it doesn't happen day one. And that's why that nitrogen balance early on is our chemical fertiliser strategy early on in this in the new reseed is quite important. So we can maintain that balance because although the prover plant might be fixing nitrogen slightly earlier than before it releases it into the soil, if it's not releasing it into the soil, the companion grass species is going to be at a nitrogen deficit and it can cause an imbalance. So so that's generally the, the process of nitrogen fixation. And as long as we can maintain good stolons in the soil, good soil fertility, good grazing management, keeping new, new stolons being produced, we will maintain high levels of soil fertility in the sward as well for that rhizobi bacteria, which is really driven by a correct soil pH. We will maintain high levels of nitrogen fixation. And, and like we've measured on average, being between 80 to 130 kilos of chemical fertile or nitrogen being fixed from that clover plant per hectare per year.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of stuff, really. Like, and look, would it, would it be fair to say that you were talking about a uh, fertilizer strategy for for actually establishing the swords there? But I suppose in a normal grazing sward with an established clover content in it, that nitrogen strategy is probably very, very important in the spring of the year as well, until temperatures get up in the soil and the, the plant can actually receive a, a, an adequate amount of sunlight to actually start to start its chemical or its processes.
1: Yeah, well, it's sunlight and and soil soil temperature as well. So ryegrass typically needs about five to six degrees soil temperature and rising before we see high levels of grass growth in the spring. You would see slower levels of grass growth over the winter, but high levels of grass growth and increasing to about five to six degrees and rising. In terms of clover, we're talking between eight and ten degrees of a soil temperature requirement. Um, typically, early on in the it happens slightly later on too. So, in terms of a soil temperature point of view, it's going to actually be slightly delayed because of that lower soil temperature. And then if we look at a a swore clover profile as well. So typically clover content peaks in July, August, and then starts to fall off again. It is lowest in its spring. And if we're talking about an average swore clover content of 25% is what we're targeting across the year, that's going to be somewhere around 10% in the spring, rising to 20% plus then in kind of May, June, and then peaking at 35, 40% then in early autumn and then declining as well. So if we know clover can fix nitrogen. The more plants we have, the more root nodules we have, the more stolons we have, the more nitrogen that's fixed. Solely on a, on a plant proportion or plant content in the sward, if we have 10% of the sward that is clover, we only have 10% of the of the sward that's able to fix nitrogen, regardless of soil temperature. That means as a total, it is we have less plants fixing nitrogen. So it's going to reduce the overall level of total fixation in this ward because we have less plants fixing nitrogen. And that's why it's key to target that 25%. And if we look at the profile, clover content is lower in spring, so temperatures are lower. So if we're not getting high levels of fixation early on in the year, it is important then to apply chemical fertilizer because we cannot compromise overall herbage production by reducing chemical fertilizer in the year as well. We have to maintain herbage production. If we don't, we're going to have to bring in surplus feed and the and whole issues along with it as well. So that fertilizer strategy is very important early on in the year. And then when we have enough clover and good soil temperatures, we can let the clover do its thing, typically from kind of mid to mid, late May onwards. So yeah. in all of our strategies, regardless of clover content, what we say is we typically don't recommend changing chemical fertilizer strategy before May. So that kind of first three applications, your your February, March, and April application would be standard, whether they have clover or no clover in the swords. And then, based on the level of clover in the sward, then from May onwards, we gradually reduce our chemical fertilizer on those swards because we know we have enough cloverage.
2: It. And it, it just, Mike, uh, for for farmers out there that 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 have, you know, established clover um, on the farm and. I suppose we have a big mix out there at the minute. We have some farms that have 20% grazed at the moment. We have some farms that have, have nothing grazed yet. Okay. In terms of a, a spring grazing strategy to try and promote clover and try to actually get it in the best place possible to actually start fixing once, once we hit those temperatures there, what should guys be targeting at the minute?
1: It's been a wet February, so it's challenging to graze. I think number one, is you are grazing and it's, and it's wet, it's, be careful not to damage the the grass plant as well and particularly the clover plant if we want to maintain good levels of clover coming later into the year when we need that fixation. Number one, if we have high levels of cover on some of those clover content, clover loves light and if you have high levels of clover, high levels of cover on that sward and high pre-grazing covers, it's not letting light down to the base of the sward. So in those paddocks that have clover on them that may have a high cover, as soon as possible, go in and clean those off because we need light down to the base of the sward. We already said clover has a higher soil temperature requirement, so it's at a competitive disadvantage in the spring because the grass is going to out-compete it. So we need to bring that competition, like we're talking about getting a good balance of grass clover, not having the clover taken over. Our grazing management in the spring should try and promote the clover to increase and not let the grass take over. So where possible, take out those heavy covers as soon as possible where there's clover in them avoid damaging them and if they need pea fertilizer now it probably should be targeted from kind of mid-march onwards to try and get that new nodule being developed um as well uh, as that so and fertilizer is important now too so clover still uses chemical fertilizer just at a slower rate so if it's not fixing it now or fixing low levels it still needs to be fed so but but the covers and avoiding damage is probably the two key things at the moment i would say
3: yeah mike for clover we nearly need to think about light as a nutrient you know, it's yeah. so, so important. So springtime, getting the light in there by like grazing it as best as you can. Very, very difficult, Mike, to be fair. It's, you know, it's been a bit. Yeah. it's been a real tough, tough spring. Uh, nitrogen and phosphorus, really, really important as well. Mike, just in general, while we're on the fertilizer talk, right, we were chatting there recently about maybe farmers taking the foot off the pedal at the wrong times, maybe with chemical fertilizer. And w- PastureBase has shown us that data as well that maybe, and and listen, albeit it has been a very tricky year last year, but in general, there's maybe a sense that we need to be targeted with our nitrogen. We need to maybe refocus. We obviously have a huge body of work to do inside fertility. Can you maybe expand on that, what you found maybe from PastureBase with your colleagues in Moorpark?
1: Yeah, if we look at PastureBase over the last five years, so in 2019, average on, on dairy farms now, sorry, but on average dry matter production on dairy farms in 20, and this is the same set of, of farms over the five years.
3: Yeah, match samples. That's important. Yeah,
1: right, a, sample, a sample size. Yeah. So our match samples. So it was about 13 and a half tonne of dry matter per hectare produced in 2019. Um, 2020 was similar and 2021 was just over 13 tonnes, about 300 kilos of a drop. When we go into 2022 and 2023, they're down at 12 to 12.4 ton average on pasture-based on that matched sample of farms. So there has been a reduction in overall cumulative herbage growth uh, from 2019 to 2023 on this group of farms that we're looking at on pasture And this is not the 12.150 program now, this is a, a much wider subset of farms. If you coincide and look with fertilizer use uh, at the same timeline of that, in the last two years, it has reduced dramatically on farms and probably to the detriment of production where there isn't enough clover on those individual farms or on individual paddocks. And I think it has to come back to strategic use of nutrients, whether it be slurry, PK and nitrogen. And we should not reduce chemical nitrogen strategies or chemical nitrogen fertilizer where we don't have sufficient levels of clover content in those packs. Yes. So if we look at if we typically have a, a, a sward that has somewhere in the region of 10% clover content in, in the sward on average across the year, and this is work from William Bircher's thesis, would fix somewhere around 35 to 40 kilos of nitrogen per hectare per year. When we bring that up to 25 or 30%, which is what we're targeting, we're around 100 kilos of nitrogen fixed per hectare per year. So if you go to a scenario on farms that there's chemical fertilizer being reduced on farms where there is only 10% clover content in those paddocks and we're reducing fertilizer by 100 kilos plus, the difference has not been made up because there's not enough clover there to fix that amount of fertilizer that we're taking out of it. So I think coming back to maintaining herbage production, we obviously want to reduce fertilizer in line with where we can, maintaining herbage production as a whole and only reducing chemical fertilizer where we have sufficient levels of clover on it and also where we are making better use of our slurry too in terms of the P and K value of it and the nitrogen content as well so i think we need to be a lot more strategic in terms of where we spread our fertilizer when we spread our fertilizer obviously we don't want to waste fertilizer cause any environmental issues in the spring or in the autumn and we need to be very key of when we yeah. spread it in terms of weather but in terms of clover content when we come into that summer period and that spring period how we manage that fertilizer is very important so we don't reduce herbage production and just then it's going to be it's, it's on the grass 10 newsletter and everything there's a a new fertilizer strategy that we have developed for, for swards grass swards, grass clover swards 5, 10, 15 and 25% average water clover contents across the year. And having rather than just uh, one message that we reduce fertiliser when we have clover, it's a targeted reduction depending on the level of clover that we have.
3: Well, That's very important. That's very, very important, Mike. And we have to think about clover and the relative clover content as a nitrogen fertilizer is what i've been trying to advocate because it's not going to be the same everywhere and the the clover itself will be very efficient in fixing nitrogen but also the use of it so rather than spreading an application of chemical fertilizer the clover plant is working away there for 200 days in the year fixing it and supplying it to the site at different rates well really really good mike one thing that's coming up is that you know there's loads of pressure on irish agriculture the clover is going to have a massive role going forward even more and you're doing an awful lot of work in relation to trying to get the message out there and that's going to culminate in a series of uh, early spring walks and so do you want to give us maybe an
1: idea of what the plan is and and uh, where those walks are going to take yeah so we, this is our third year doing it. So we started these three years ago with our, our Clover Walks, what we call them Clover Spring Walks. And they kind of took over from the grassland walks that the, that the Grass 10 team used to do. And this is a combination with the Grass 10 team and um the Clover 150 team. So what we are doing is we have a series of walks, Clover Walks across the country. They're going to start on the, the 3rd of April. Uh, this year, which is the Wednesday after Easter, so they're just after the bank holiday, and they will be running up until the 12th of April. And so there's going to be 13 walks in total uh, across the country. They're going to be from uh, West Cork to Wexford, Meath, Mayo, West Meath, Kilkenny, Clare, Donegal, Braery, Kerry, Limerick, and at Dry Farm, then in Cork. I don't need to remember, you don't need to remember where they all are. There will be flyers going out next week yeah, in terms of, of where they're going to be. But yeah. I suppose the key things that we want to cover on these walks is, and it is the benefits of clover what they are and how we manage it, how we manage clover in terms of the grazing management aspects of it as well, but also the fertilizer or nutrient management as well. Fertilizer, nitrogen, PK, slurry, the whole soil fertility aspect of it as well. And then how we establish and maintain these levels of of clover, how we get the level of clover that we want and how we establish it and maintain it there long term. And that's the the key objective of these walks is to try and promote the best use or best management practices of clover how to establish it and maintain it while reducing nitrogen fertilizer use on farms and more importantly, maintaining herbage production. Because we cannot reduce compromise herbage production. We cannot reduce chemical fertilizer at the, at the extent of herbage production and have to fill that source of of reduced grass growth from purchased forage or purchase concentrate um, because it's another source of nitrogen coming in the gate. So, yeah, they're going to be from the, the 3rd of April. They'll be starting at uh, 11 a.m. every day. They'll run for about two hours. Uh, typically, over the last couple of years, we've got about 1,500 to 2,000 people at these walks in, in total uh, per year over this. So we hope to do a, a big portion again this year in the next couple of weeks to try and promote these. And there will be a press release shortly um, with the, the dates, times and locations of each individual walk. Brilliant. And it's put, leading on from that then it's going to uh, and i know you're going to talk about it again another day but just to touch on it that's going to lead on then to what we're going to call our, our clover week that will be run from the uh, end of april so it's going to start at the um 19th the yeah the 19th of april and i think kate and joe are going to be talking about that but that's again promoting clover best use across multiple social media challenges the, the issues with it, the, the benefits of it, the management practices of it, how we maintain it, how we establish it, a full suite, short snippets, how we can do that and get farmers to show what farmers are doing on farm. We look
3: that's forward to seeing, uh, seeing you dancing on Instagram, Mike. we, uh, we we'll we'll get John we, Maher on
1: Instagram first, I think we we'll be happy. <laughs> <on the
3: snippets. laughs> that, that will get people talking for sure. What's in
0: the news? So now I'm just going to cover what's in the news. And I've chosen the article this week because it was very easy to choose it because we're in the news. Johnny, big, big arrangement done between Kerry Agri Business and ourselves in Grass and Agro, and it's getting a lot of column inches and discussions.
3: Yeah, I know it's um, been covered in a good bit of detail there in the press, and I suppose it's a very innovative arrangement whereby Grass and Agro is going to provide an awful lot of sustainability support in the area of fertiliser and nutrient management plan James. And I yeah. suppose it's a lot of leadership from Kerry Agri Business in relation to trying to, I suppose, also supply and incentivize protected urea and best practice around nutrients, but also put the legwork in the ground because it's definitely an area, you know, that could cause issues for the agricultural sector, namely with the nitrates directive and water quality and listen, obviously we're in a very we're delighted with the development and it's a huge responsibility and it wouldn't be possible without the brilliant team that we have in the ground, James, as well. And I suppose yeah. that's following the six steps of the side sustainability program, which starts with a side sample and then nutrient management planning. And that's the absolute key. You know, you look at the fertilizer market over the last couple of years, it's probably one point eight million tons sold, probably one point seven million. Would have been sold without any reference to a side sample, yeah. You know, and that's not when you think about it. When you just bring it back to basics, Jim, it's probably it's a bit it's a little bit mad, you know. So the arrangement is that we're we're definitely going to try and support Kerry farmers as much as possible in the same way we do with all our other partners on the site yeah. sustainability program, James. But I suppose this is just one step forward.
0: Yeah. Brilliant, Johnny, and thanks for that. Exciting times in Grass and Negro, but it's exciting in Grass and Negro every day, and we will continue to follow the process of putting fertilizer applications in the right place at the right time at the right rate. Mike, thanks very much for coming on, and I, I suppose I just want to say, like, obviously, we're a fertilizer company. And we're very open to this, and we've been really bought into clover for numerous years. John O'Loughlin was clover scoring with his team there with Ed and Lauren and Owen. We've been training our own staff up and down the country how to clover score and educate. Because, look, take that clover 150, a very simple piece of data that you said there, Mike. When you started, it was 230 kg per hectare of nitrogen used, and now it's obviously down to 150 kg. Obviously, as a fertiliser company, why have I got you on here at all? I'm telling you, reduce my business. We're in a very different world and Grass and Agro bought into this concept and, and this is the way things are going and we're heavily educated on the ground so really appreciate this Mike. It's been a great honour to have you on and we'll have you back again.
1: No trouble at all. Thanks James. Thanks Ed. Thanks John. See you Mike. Mind, nice.
0: Mind yourselves out there. Firm smart. Firm safe. Hey, thanks for listening to the Sod Pod. We hope you enjoyed it find out more head over to www.grasslandagro.ie or check out our social channels facebook twitter instagram linkedin and youtube that's all for this episode see you next time